Uh, tonight's the honeymoon, so <laughs> I just don't know what that'll be on the, on the air, uh, uh, how that's going to go out, but it's going to be pretty interesting, so pretty cool. Song of Solomon chapter 4 is where you want to be, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about this now. Um, I've told you before, I just get a, whole, I, I get a kick out of weddings. I like watching couples fall in love. I like watching, you know, how they plan their wedding and the reception and all the things about it. And, and I've seen the bride who just, you know, oh, whatever happens, happens. As a matter of fact, one bride uh, I did a wedding for, she, she said, you know what, my mom and dad want the big fancy dinner and I just want an In-N-Out truck. And that was their, and the In-N-Out truck pulled, I got to be honest, one of the best receptions ever. And uh, so that was pretty cool. But then I've seen the brides who get stressed out. And uh, one bride in particular was a little stressed out, and uh, she just wanted everything perfect. And uh, the guy she was marrying was a really, he was into joking around a lot. And, and then what happened is his groomsmen loved to joke around a lot. So what they did is they, they went down to the, the, the wedding coordinator and said, hey, we're the groomsmen, and we just want to help out, and can you show us what she, and what the, the wedding coordinator did not know, what they were looking for is the cake. And so she flipped the picture and goes, oh, yeah, that's her cake. Oh, yeah, that's the cake. And they go, oh. And so they, they just memorized it as best they could. And then they got a, her distracted and got a cell phone photo picture of it. And they rushed down to Vaughn's. And they said, can you make us a cake about this big that looks like the top of this? And so the day of the wedding comes. And, and what happens is the wedding's beautiful and everything goes great. And then everyone goes into the reception and, and they wait for her to be sitting and they have the prayer and now the food's all coming out and they on purpose walk by her eating what she thinks is the top of her cake. <laughs> She's like, oh, hitting her husband and going crazy and, and they're just laughing, you know, and she really thinks that they took the top. I thought that was great. Anyway. Oh. Sex is one of those subjects that definitely creates interest. Uh, it really does. I, uh, when I was in Bible college, we had a, an area major meeting. And so what happened is, is people would do everything they could to get out of it until we heard that uh, one day uh, we were going to have a pastor come in and talk to us about sex. And I mean, that room was crowded. I can't believe how many people switched majors. And, uh, uh, and they're in there. And, and, and this man is 78 years old. Incredible guy, knows ministry, loves the Lord. He's trying to pour into us young pastors or potential pastors. And he's talking about the fact you need to treasure your wife. And then he said, I'm just going to get real straight with you guys. You, you need to make love in an incredible way to your woman. And we're like, and he starts talking about it. And uh, he's going on and on and, and we're taking notes. And, uh, <laughs> and a friend of mine raises his hand and said, I, I got something to ask. And, and the guy said, yeah. And he said, when do you stop? And the, the, the pastor goes, what? He goes, when do you quit doing it? And uh, the guy is 78. He starts laughing. He goes, well, when I find out, I'll tell you. you know, and uh, uh, years ago, I, I got a hold of a, a, a tape series that we would give young couples back then. It was called Sex Techniques and, and Problems in Marriage. Uh, by Dr. Ed Wheat, very phenomenal Christian man, and, and tape number one is sexual techniques, and tape, tape number two is sexual problems. So I, I thought, man, we need to really be giving this to young couples as they get married, and, and we would tell them, only listen to this, you know, a week before your honeymoon, uh, uh, no, no sooner than that. And so I went to the senior pastor of the church, and I said, hey, uh, uh, what do you think about us giving these out? And he said, well, I'll, I'll listen to them. 
Well, what happened is, is my senior pastor goes home and, and he goes into his bedroom and puts it in and he's laying on the bed listening to the first one. Uh, and his wife steps at the door and she's leaning and she's listening to him. Listen to this. And then all of a sudden she startles him by going, what are you listening to? And he looked up and said, Chuck said we needed these. <laughs> okay, it's going to get more brutal as we go. Um, in Song of Solomon, what happened is we have a couple that fell in love. And they really guarded the purity of their relationship and everything about it. She was as in love with his character as she was in love with him physically and maybe more in the character. He treasured her. He romanced her. He listened to her. Their relationship grew at the proper, proper pace. And then when the day came for them to get married, it was the day of gladness of heart. And it was just mind-boggling how well it was. Their wedding was the most amazing wedding of its day. And people were captivated by it. And now we come to the bridal chamber. And I need to have you know what's going on because there's a chance you may not get this because this is going to be the honeymoon. But the bridal chamber, what would happen in that day and time was this, is that the, the, the couple would usually make an agreement to get married. Then they would have a period of time of waiting. And then when they were come to that moment, that wedding day, uh, they would come together and then everybody would come to celebrate. Now there would be a huge wedding feast. But in that day and time, what happened is the bride and the groom went into the bridal chamber and a veil was closed over. And everybody else was outside waiting, doing nothing. And here's why. Because they weren't going to do anything until the groom threw open the curtain and said, it is finished. Uh, uh, you, okay. And, uh, and, and, and here's why. Because if he goes into her and says, hey, you're not a virgin. And he opens the curtain and says, I don't find her to be pure. She has 48 hours to prove she's a virgin or she's put to death. Now, now that sounds pretty awful. Now, now here's what you got to understand, though. Uh, as scary as it might be that he might make that accusation, I'm going to guess that the vast majority of brides weren't worried about that. I am going to also hazard a guess that the majority of brides are worried about the fact that her mom and dad are standing this far on the curtain. <laughs> right? And everybody else is out there. And so here's this girl marrying the king of Israel. And this incredible announcement's made. And he's walking her into the bridal chamber with thousands of people outside just waiting. Do you think that might be a little nerve-wracking? And, and, and that's what she's facing in this moment. Now, many cultures have uh, 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 traditions that are like this. The American Indians... Uh, at least certain tribes, when a couple got married, they would go into the teepee and the warriors would surround the teepee and bang on pots till they announced they were done. Uh, in France, years ago, what would happen is the bride and groom would go to their room and the bride's father would stand outside the door and sing to his daughter during the actions that were supposed to take place. Uh, so you, you can imagine that, that, that this is just, you know, something that's kind of grown out of, out of this uh, uh, a very interesting cultural experience where consummation is the final point in them truly being one. Uh, another couple I heard about was uh, getting married. And so what happened is the bride had told her husband, now, you know what? I want you to promise me something. She said, I love your friends. I love how you guys joke around. But I want to tell you, this is my wedding day and I don't want any practical jokes. And he said, well, honey, you know, I, I've gotten those guys a lot. And she said, you go tell them. I, I want you to stand up for me. And so he calls them together and he says, guys, uh, man, I, I got to ask you something. I can't have any jokes on my wedding or anything to do with it. 
And they said, well, okay. And he goes, no, 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 guys, I'm not kidding. I don't want help me written on my shoes. I, I don't want you to put super glue on the wedding rings. I, I don't want, you know, and he has all, a list of, and they're going, hey, no problem. If it would bother her, we won't do it. Your wedding day is safe. And he thought, that was just too easy. So he's worried. He gets to the wedding day and he's checking his tux to make sure they haven't done anything. They didn't. He's walking out and checking to make sure there's not like whoopee cushions hidden up there they could hit, and they didn't. He's looking for alarm clocks that are going to go off all over, and, he, and they didn't. And he kept thinking, I can't believe it. And when it came to time to ask for the ring, he was waiting for a big joke about the ring being lost, or, and they just hand the ring off. He's thinking, this is too good to be true. So he goes through the whole day, and, and, and finally they're getting their limo to head out to their honeymoon, and she kisses him and says, thank you, thank you, thank you for standing up for me for your friends. That, 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 you don't know how much that means. And he said, well, I, I got to be honest. I'm a little surprised at him. So anyway, they go to their honeymoon experience, and they wake up the next morning, and they cuddle up together, and, and uh, he says, well, what do you want to do? And she goes, what about breakfast in bed? And he said, oh, okay. And so he calls room service, and he said, could we have breakfast for two? And from under the bed, they hear, make it six. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I had to tell it. And on the internet, okay, don't worry. Uh, let's start in chapter 4, verse 1. They're in the bridal chamber. Everybody's standing outside. And he begins to speak. Now, remember how nervous she is, and you'll pick that up more in a minute. But what does he say to her when they walk inside? He says, how beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes, all which, uh, which come up from their washing, all of which bear twins. And not one of them among them is lost or young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. And your temples are like a pomegranate behind your veil. Now later on when you study this, you'll notice that although there's more than seven compliments, there's seven areas that are complimented that he centers in on. And what we see is the characteristics of what we call loving, spiritual, godly sex between a husband and a wife. And the first thing you see is the amazing romance of this. He starts slowly and caringly. And he says to her, I want you to know that, and remember she's in her wedding apparel. She would have a veil on as they start. So she's sitting there in front of him or lying in, next to him. And, and her head is covered and her, veil, her face is covered from here up. Or from here down. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so what happens is he begins talking about what he can see. Her eyes. He says, your eyes, your eyes behind your veil are like doves. Uh, and so she has her veil on. And, and it's interesting. This is the only compliment that's used by both of them. Where she compliments his eyes and says, your eyes are like doves. And he looks at her. And what does this mean? It means your eyes are alive and pure and captivating and gorgeous. And they grab my attention and I want to stare. And then he says to her, your hair is like a flock of goats that descends from Mount Gilead. <laughs> that just didn't sound like a compliment to me. Man, your hair is coarse. And oh my gosh, the lice. I mean, no. And uh, no, what he would be talking about is where Solomon's palace was. If you looked across the valley at Mount Gilead, at the end of each day, the coolest part of the day, the end of a long day, they would have the goats begin to come descending down the mountain where they had been grazing. 
And there would be thousands and thousands and thousands of them. And so as you looked across and, and think about the green hills of Corona, now you're looking out at the green hills of that area. But flowing down there are all these black goats and maybe some white ones intertwined. But the reality is it would look flowing and hypnotic and restful and beautiful. And what he's saying to her is, I could just sit here with you all night long. I could just be near you in a moment like this. Your hair is so beautiful and flowing and captivating. And, and so he, he's talking about her eyes and probably touching her hair. And then he says about her teeth. And he says that your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes or sheep, which have come up from their washing. In other words, when sheep come up out of the washing, they're gorgeous, they're pretty, they're white. But what do they do? They dance and they hop all over and they shake. And, and he says to her, your smile is gorgeous and playful and, and, and captivating and joyous and, and when he looks at her he wants to smile because of her smile and then I do like the fact that he says this he says all of which bear twins he's saying it's really cool to me that you have all your teeth and uh, and and then that day and time that was actually a big deal and not one of them has lost or young do you see in other words they match perfectly and, and he says man you have an incredible smile and then he says your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely now it's interesting that um uh, a while back, I, was, I read an article on body part models. Uh, 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 models that may not make a living as being a total model, but it might be their hands that you see. It might be, your, there's ear models. They, their ears are the ones that are shown. Uh, there are women who are leg models. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember reading an article in this article, uh, a particular actress who I won't name, they said she is gorgeous and beautiful except for her hands. And, and directors do everything they can never to have her hands show on camera because they think that this gorgeous woman has very manly hands. And so they had a body part model come in and like when she was getting married in this movie and her hand sticks out that all of a sudden it's not her hand, there's someone else's hand there. And because hands have to have a, a certain look to them. Well, you know, lips were discussed in that. And they said, what does it take to be a, a model who, who, whose lips are featured? And interestingly, in the article they said, their lips have to have a special clear outline to them. Obviously they want a little more puffier lip, but, but it has to have a very clear outline to it, almost like a scarlet thread. And that's what he's saying. He says, your lips are beautiful. Your lips are gorgeous. Your lips are amazing. And so he's just captivated by her lips. And then he goes to her, now notice he's going, eyes, hair, and, and now he's going to her lips, so he must have removed her veil. He's taken her veil off and looked at her lips. And then he's looking at this temple area, which is actually what we call the cheeks. But it's called the temples here. And he says this. He says to her, uh, your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. The idea is that they're rosy and maybe she's even blushing at this moment as, as he's touching her hair and opens up the veil and begins to look at her and her, she just takes on this amazing color to him and he's saying, you're just captivating in how you look to me as he's unleashed the veil. Now with the veil off, he can see her neck and in verse four it says this, your neck is like the Tower of David, <laughs> built with rows of stone which are hung around the she uh, thousand shields, all round shields of mighty men. Uh, uh, I just, again, you know, you need to understand what that means. I mean, if Pam came walking up to me and I said, oh my gosh, you're so beautiful. Your neck is like the Washington Monument. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think she'd go, oh, thank you, you know. But, but the idea behind this, the Tower of David was the most beautiful tower in the city of Jerusalem in Solomon's day. But it was also the one 
that kept watch for anybody to come. It was a tower of faithfulness and a tower of trust and a tower that you would look up on you and you saw the guards there, especially with the shields all around it. It, it was saying to you, you're, you're statuesque, you're beautiful, you stand out. But even more, it stands to me that I could trust you with my life. That's what he's saying to her. And she wouldn't have missed that. Now, it's kind of interesting when I was reading that body part model thing about necks. Uh, they said necks really do need to be longer. Uh, uh, they can't be, you know, we don't want a woman with a linebacker neck, you know. Uh, and, and so, uh, uh, interestingly, you might already know this. Uh, uh, back when I read the article, they said uh, the two most perfect necks in all of Hollywood. Are you ready? Audrey Hepburn and, and ready for this Jennifer Love Hewitt. And, and, and they said, because why? Because they were longer. They did stand out more. They did have a, 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 a grace to their, the way their heads were held upon their neck. And, and so that's what he's saying to this woman too. And, and so what he's done is he started with her eyes and then he goes to her hair. He undoes the veil and goes to her mouth and begins to talk about it. Then to her cheeks, now to her neck. And he's probably either touching or kissing her the whole time he goes. Notice that he says the romance of the moment. It appears very clearly that he's moving slowly, lovingly and tenderly. He doesn't rush as he removes the veil. And when he does, he takes his time loving her eyes, loving her hair, loving her lips, her mouth, loving her neck. And then he goes softly, gently, and carefully to her breasts. Uh, uh, this is the way a man is to make love to a woman. And the, one of the reasons this book is in here is to teach men this. It's that we need to understand that, that you know, the old saying that uh, women are like irons and men are like light bulbs. You know, when you turn on an iron, it takes a while for it to heat up. When you turn on a light bulb, you just hit it, boom, it's on. And, uh, and, and you know what is typically, typically, not in every case, women need to be romanced. Why? They need to find out they, they matter to us. That we're not just using them for our own pleasure. That we're willing to take time and to communicate. And we want to know the right pace to travel. We want to know, are they being affected by the fact that we love and care for them? That's what Solomon's doing with her. And that's what God is showing us, the tenderness of romance in a moment like this. And we need to understand that. We need to let the girl know that it's her that matters to us. More than what's going to happen in the pleasure. That she matters to us. I, uh, I'm going to throw out a piece of advice that you might want to think about uh, for the, all of the married men. And for guys who aren't married, obviously, we want you to wait till you're married to apply this part of Scripture. Uh, but, but, but here's what I want you to grab hold of. There's going to be times in a marriage where your wife is going to look at you and you're going to let her know that you want to go and be intimate. And she'll send a signal to you saying, okay, if that's what you want. But you being a romantic guy, pick up on, this isn't the night for her. And you say to her, you know what, I, I, I want to wait until you're ready. I want to wait till the time's perfect. And then most wives are going to look at you and say, no, 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 let's go ahead. And you look at her and say, you matter to me too much to not have every time we're together be amazingly special. And in and, and that moment, you're going to, to wow her. You're going to show her the kind of tenderness and love that, that Solomon has here. And, uh, and, and that's God's great desire. So we see the romance of it. Now let's also catch the gentleness of it. And notice chapter 4, verses 5, 6, and 7. He's now at the place of her breast. He's starting to undress her. And he says, your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. 
And then he says, until the cool of the day, when the shadows flee away, I will go to my mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. Now, now grab hold of what's going on here. And, and I, I want to make sure we do get the picture of it. He says, your breasts are like two fawns. They're, they're twins. They're perfect. They're gorgeous. And, and he says, you know, he's captivated by them. If you were walking in the forest and you came upon two baby fawns laying there, you know what your reaction would be? What would it be? You'd want to pet them. You'd want to touch. That's what he's saying, okay? I, I, I'm not going to hide any of this. We're just going to talk about it, okay? And, and I know if I'm, you're embarrassed, that I'm worse. But I'm not going to hide. And, uh, and he's, that's what he's saying. Because you know what he's not doing? He's not going, hey, and jumping, you know, and how, you know right? If you did that to Fonz, what would happen? They, they would freak out, maybe die on the spot, you know? And, and, and of course, every man here knows that's not how to treat your wife. Uh, but, but. You would approach slowly and tenderly. You wouldn't yell. You wouldn't lunge. And uh, that's what he's saying to her. And he's saying he treasures this moment that way. And, and then he remembers. If you look at this, it, it, remember in verse 6 he says, Until the cool of the day and the shadows flee away, I will go to my mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. Do, do you remember in chapter 2 verse 17, they were talking and he said to her, Tell me your greatest desire. And she said, My greatest desire is until the shadows flee away that you would lie on a mountain, uh, on the mountains, on the mountains of separation. And you know what he's saying to her? I remember what you said to me. I, I listened. I care. And I'm not going to rush this time. I'm not going to, to get through this. I'm willing to take time with you. This is what you desired more than anything else. And I haven't forgotten it, is what he's saying. You know, it's interesting that in Proverbs chapter 5, it talks about a husband, the wise husband, uh, is always enraptured in the love of his wife. And then it says this to a husband, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Now, why is that interesting to say to a husband? Because what it's saying is whether you've been married a month or a year or 10 years or 50 years or, or 60 years, he says, I want you whenever you come to be intimate with your wife not to rush past that point. I want you to love her and treasure her in the midst of that. God says, that's what this kind of union is all about. By the way, this is another reason premarital sex is wrong. Because you can't enjoy what God has in this kind of a way, this kind of committed way. It needs to happen in the right time. And then look at verse 7. He says this, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. Now, in a quick reading of that, you might miss what's going on here. They're in the bridal chamber. He's removed her veil. He's begun to undress her. Now, now, now before we go on, I'm not trying to be, uh, uh, I'm not trying to go somewhere we shouldn't, but I, I want you to not miss what just happened. Because this is huge. This is a big deal. When he started to undress her, and, and she's caught in that moment, and he looks at her and says, you're altogether beautiful. Do you remember what she had said in chapter one? She said, don't stare at me. Because I am so tan. The sun has scorched me. And I'm swarthy. Now, now think about this. No woman in that day and time would have gone out revealing much more than this part of her body on her hands. Certainly not her legs. And so she was tanned here up, here down. And now when he undresses her, she has like what we're going to say is the worst farmer tan imaginable. Okay, do you see what's going on here? 
Do you see why she might be a little tripped out in this moment? All the other girls, they don't have that issue. She's got these dead set lines and he's looking at her. And, and you know that the, I, I mean, have you ever done that? I, I mean, I'm not trying to be grotesque, but, but when the beach baptisms came, see, I love to golf. And when you golf, you wear a golf shirt, right? I don't, you know, all the guys who golf, we don't peel off our shirts and walk around topless golfing. And so, but my arms from here down are like really, really tan for me. <laughs> and now, now some of you guys, you know, are naturally. But, but you know, I go to do the beach baptism and I thought, I can't take off my t-shirt. I look stupid. I mean, I really will. I mean, it would no matter. I, people would come and mock me. First they'd say a whale on the beach. But then, you know. Uh, <laughs> so the reason I'm going to that is honestly, I think I, I am self-conscious about that. Do you know how self-conscious a woman would be with the man who uh, honestly is, is experienced? We'll see that later. And she's about to go before him and, and have that kind of a look. And he looks at her and says, you are all together beautiful. You could not be more gorgeous to me. I don't see anything. And then he says, doesn't he say, I think it's here. He says this. He says in verse 7, you are all together beautiful, my darling. And there is no blemish in you. There is no blemish in you. There's, there's nothing in you I'd want to change. Nothing I'd want to take away. I love you for who you are. To me, this is the perfection of beauty. And he says, that's how I see you. Now, by the way, in that world of their day's eyes, she didn't have that kind of perfection. But in Solomon's eyes, she could not have been more beautiful. And I believe when God brings the right man and woman together, the man sees his wife that way. Uh, I am going to take a step to a very spiritual side to this. You ready? That's how Jesus sees you. You know, it really is important you understand that when you become a follower of Christ, when you enter into a relationship with him, you know, you and I, we, we remember our sins all the time. And, and if I really wanted to tonight, and I gave you about 30 seconds to think about it, and I could say, and we trusted each other, I could say, let's stand up. And I think we could all reveal some pretty horrible things about ourselves, right? And, and some of you have done what I've done, and and, and I don't know why I still do this, but probably you do this too. There are times in your life you get before the Lord. And you say, Lord, I can't believe I did this. And, and, and I can't believe, and, and do you know what God says to you and says to me? He said, I, I don't remember that. Well, no, Lord, remember five years ago when, when I did this. And, and the Lord goes, no, I, I don't remember that. By the way, am I biblical at this point? What does God say he does? He says he forgets our sins. He just forgets them. And God looks at you and says, you're all together beautiful. Satan goes, no, no, no. They, and, he, and then remember, we've already looked at Zechariah 4. God just says to Satan, shut up. I don't remember that. You're all together beautiful. Here's what's really cool. It's not that God's overlooking it. It's not that God's overlooking it. It's that you've been washed in the blood of Christ. You are all together beautiful. And that, I don't want you to miss that. And, and love, love works that way. Love does that. So it's not that love is blind. It's that love puts on glasses and sees the best of who you are. And, and, and that's what happens. Now, verse 8. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. May you come with me from Lebanon. Journey down from the summit of Amana, from the summit of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions and from the mountains of leopards. Now, now why is he saying this? He's just told her, he, he, he's, and again, I don't want to get uh, uh, too graphic, but he's, uh, he's taken off the veil and he's, he's 
engaged in her eyes. He's touching her hair, touches her cheek, uh, kisses her on her mouth probably at this point, uh, is embracing her neck, goes to her breasts, and then he says, you're so gorgeous. And then he stops and starts talking about, you know, um, two different mountains, and and that's not why he's doing that, by the way. Um, And he talks about lions and leopards. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, come back to me. Come back to me. The minute they're starting to take the intimacy to another level, he picks up right away how nervous she is, how afraid she is. She's like a young girl walking in the mountain, stepping into a den where a lion is. And he says, you're terrified. I can sense it. She's like moving amongst the leopards and the, and the, and the fear of what that means to leap out. And she, she's afraid. And, and he's so in tune to her. He's so caring about her that what he says to her is he says, you know what? I want you to come back to me. I don't want you in this moment to miss to miss how much I love and care about you. And so chapter four, verse eight, what do we have? We have the sensitivity of love. He has picked up on this. And, and by the way, God's calling for every man is to be in tune to his wife. Uh, we're told to love our wives and live with them in an understanding way. And God's great desire is that we would do this. And so he is willing to stop and he's willing to wait for her to be ready. And then she does become ready because in verse nine, he says this, he says, you have made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes, with a single strand of your necklace. Now, now, what is he saying here? She's turned back to him. She's come back to him. And when she gazed at him in this moment, he says, oh my gosh. He goes, you are making my heart beat faster and faster. By the way, the word sister is a very affectionate term in their day. I know that isn't one in ours. You know, you don't, you know I don't walk up to Pam and go, hey, sister, kiss me. You know, and, uh, but, but you know, the, the bottom line is, is in that day, it was one of the most affectionate things he could call her, my sister, my bride. And, and he says, oh my gosh, you are, you are totally getting to me in this moment moment. And then verse 10, he says, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils and all kinds of spices. Now, now the word love there is a Hebrew word that means to touch or caress. Uh, uh, So what he said to her, he looked at her and he said, come back to me, come back to me. And she turns and looks at him and gazes at him. And he says, oh, whoa. And then she reaches out and she's beginning to caress him back. There's a response here. So in chapter four, verses nine to 11, we pick up on the passion of love. They've moved from the romance to the gentleness, the sensitivity to the passion. And now she begins to come back to him and touch him and caress him. And she's responding to him. And then he, he, he picks up on that by talking about the fact that there's a physical response that he sees with the way uh, her skin is reacting. And, and then in verse 11, he says, your lips, my bride, drip honey. And then notice this next one. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Uh, um, if you can't figure out what's going on there, I'm not going to tell you. All right. But by the way, by the way, what you need to know is that France was not founded until the ninth century at the Treaty of Vernon. Uh, Song of Solomon was written a thousand years before this, or actually a thousand BC. So 19 centuries before France was ever founded, Solomon was doing what we call French kissing. So really biblically, it's Solomon kissing. But anyway, I just thought I'd tell you that. (laughs) I just picture people on the podcast going, what kind of church is this? You know, uh, and then he says in verse... 11, and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And then he says to her, verse 12, a garden locked 
is my sister, my bride. A rock garden locked, a spring sealed up. Now, he's beginning to move to uh, uh, the lower extremities of her body to the place that they'll eventually consummate. And, and he picks up that she's not ready. And he picks up that she's not ready to open up to him. There's still a nervousness there. And he's not going to force her. He's not going to push her. And so what he's saying to her basically is he's saying, I, I'm waiting for you and I'm waiting for the time. I can sense you're not ready. And in verse 13, he says, your shoots are like the orchard of pomegranates with choice fruits of henna and nard, nard and saffron and calamus and cinnamon and with the trees of frankincense and myrrh and aloes and finest spices. In other words, now she is beginning to respond to him. And he says, you're a garden spring, a well of flesh, fresh water and, and streams flowing from Lebanon. And, and she is now in total response mode. And in verse 16, she speaks and says, awake, O north wind, and come wind of the south and make my garden breathe out fragrance and let its spice be wafted abroad and may my beloved come to his garden and eat of its choice fruits she's saying come it's time to consummate this marriage with all the thousands of people standing outside if he has made this moment special for her incredible for her and then he says in chapter 5 verse 1 I have come into my garden my sister my bride I have gathered my myrrh along with balsam I have eaten my honeycomb with my honey I have drunk my wine and my milk and then there's a disagreement here you're going to pick up on. But, but let me tell you uh, what I believe Dallas Theological Seminary teaches. And I really think when you study this, you'll come to the same conclusion. That in, right here where it says, eat friends, drink and imbibe deeply, O lovers, that God has spoken. That God speaks. They're in this moment. They have done everything correctly. They've embraced each other. They've celebrated love. They brought consummation to an amazing marriage, an amazingly romantic, intimate, loving way. And God says, I want you to keep eating and drinking and imbibing in this. I want this to be the, the practice of your life. This is who I want you to be. Uh, uh, God's great desire is that that's be who they are. That's why in Proverbs 5, I refer to it Cerner, verses 18 to 23, God says to us men, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, and as a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always in her love. Be exhilarated always. The word exhilarated is literally to be raptured in it, and God's great desire is that's what couples would experience and do. Uh, uh, God's great desires, this would not be just a honeymoon experience, but a lifelong experience that would grow in intimacy to the point that we would step back and be amazed. We see that in Abraham and Sarah. Remember what happened is Abraham is now getting close to 100 years old. Sarah's in her 90s, and God appears. And God says, surely I'll appear with you next time, next, or next year at this time, and Sarah shall be with child. And it says that Sarah in Genesis 18 laughed. And God turns and said, why did you laugh? And she said, I didn't laugh. And he says, surely you laughed. And then in Genesis 18, 12, she confesses and says, she goes, Sarah laughed and said to herself, saying, after I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being so old? <laughs> she wasn't talking about the baby. She was saying, whoa, Abraham, come on. And uh, <laughs> this is worth noting. This is really worth noting. Here's the literal. After I have become old, shall I have Eden? That's the word that she uses for pleasure. Shall I be caught back into the Garden of Eden? Do you know what that says about Abraham? It says that that's how he treated her when this, this intimacy happened. She said, all these years we've been together, he has brought me to the Garden of Eden every time we've been intimate. In other words, it's not a one-time thing. 
And, and it's, it's, by the way, for those who aren't married, it's worth waiting for to have God's blessing be correct and right. See, God's desire for us is to have a long and active sex life in marriage. And when it's in marriage, it's beautiful and incredible. And it's a form of deep, intimate communication. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says, Now concerning the things which were wrote, you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. What they're saying is, now that we're believers, should we stop being sexually intimate? Is it good for us not to do that? That's what they're saying. And Paul says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband, and let the husband render to his wife with the affection due her, and likewise the wife to the husband. Now the word due... It is a Greek word that literally means a duty that's owed. It, it, the better word for our day and time, he says it's like you, a bill you owe that you need to pay. It says, husbands, you have a, a duty, you have a, a, a bill that you owe to your wife to be intimate with her in a way that, that touches her to the depths of her soul. Wives, you need to be that way to her husband. And by the way, guys, we don't want any of our wives to stamp paid in full on ours. But, um, yeah, I thought that was funnier than you did. And, uh, but, but you know what? It's God wants that to happen. The honeymoon's to be special and incredible and amazing. Pam and I sit and we, we desire and pray over couples that are engaged. We want them to have this kind of experience. We want them not to be, have that robbed from them because of premarital sex and listening to a world. If we handle our relationship correctly and purity, when you come to this honeymoon experience, you could go to a tropical island and have it or you could have it in Rancho Cucamonga. Your honeymoon's going to be about the intimacy, not about the place you're at. And that's what God's great desire is. We need God's blessing here. We need God's blessing here. She came to the night pure. She came and her night was special. And, and what we need to understand is Jesus died for us on the cross to wash us in his blood to make us pure and to make us special. Uh, Pam and I, almost all of you know, um, when we were dating, we blew it. And uh, the, the shorter version of our testimony is um, uh, the life of a child was taken through abortion that still to this day grieves us. And, and, and that almost killed Pam. And then we met, uh, uh, met with Tim Coop as we were getting ready to get married. And, and Tim just started sharing Christ with us and especially Pam. And and Pam was just needing something so badly because she was so hurt over what had occurred and she knew how wrong it was now. And, and, and so she embraced Jesus and accepted Jesus and God just began to move in her life. And, and we just made a commitment. Okay, no more. No more. And, and I shared with you, I think last week or the week before, that, that we ended up uh, postponing our wedding uh, uh, for two years. And, and Pam said, no more. We just can't be that way. And we prayed for God to restore purity in our relationship. And, and I believe on the day that Pam stood before me wearing white, she was wearing white because Jesus had so cleansed her and forgiven her, she was pure in his eyes and in mine. But when we came to our night together, it was like the very first time. Actually, it was better. It was like the others didn't occur. And I remember after the morning came, we looked at each other and we just began to literally, and I'm not kidding, praise God because he had restored back to us the, the purity, the innocence, the, the nervousness, all the things that went with it because God does that. God does that. He cleanses completely. 
And, you know, you, I'm not sure, obviously, looking around where everyone's at tonight in your, your station in life, what you're experiencing, what, what you're facing, all the things that are going on. But I can tell you, if there was one part of the message that I was hoping every single person were here tonight, it's this, that Jesus looks at you as beautiful. And Jesus' desire is to cleanse you completely. And, and, and if we do it right... If we live our lives right and trust him, uh, what we get is so much better than, than what we could ever hope, ask, or dream. The Bible says that when we come to God in Hebrews chapter 11, that we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of all those who seek him. And that we need to believe with all our heart that God not only exists, but he loves you intimately and personally so much that he wants to bless you and reward you in your life and pour blessings upon you. He wants to give you gift after gift. And, and so when we come to God, that's what we come to is a God who loves us that way. And tonight, tonight I want to ask, do you know that kind of love from him? And if you don't, I want to invite you tonight to commit your life to him. To literally pray a prayer where you'll say, Lord, I, I want to do this. I want to I accept you and I want to live with you and I want to be yours. Let me ask this next question. Are you right now living in a relationship with God in such a way that you actually are going to walk out of this building feeling like, God, what do you have for me next? What am I about to, how, what's coming my way that's from you that's incredible? And if you're not experiencing that, let me tell you, that needs to be the attitude he wants you to have. Why? Because that's who he is. And if that's not what you're living, that's not what's moving in your heart, I want to invite you tonight also to pray a prayer, to commit yourself to trusting in God for amazing things to happen in your life. And tonight, if you need to recommit yourself to God, Pam and I, hit that place where I needed to do that, she needed to do it. We had to say, Lord, just take us back. And he did. And maybe at one time you were passionately in love with the Lord, experiencing him. And, and then what happened is something occurred or you've done some things or you just drifted and, and he looks at you and says, come home to me. Come back to me. And tonight maybe you need to do that. So we're going to go into a time of prayer. And tonight, if you need to either commit your life to the Lord or commit yourself to his plan for your life or recommit yourself to him, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me right where you're sitting where you do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for love. And I know that love is to be expressed and experienced in many different ways. All of us to have friends and, and we're to have share deeply with people and share our lives with them and have them share their lives with us and, and laugh together and cry together and, and, and tackle hurdles together, Lord, and, and pick each other up and, and then yet celebrate. So we all are to love friends. Lord, I know your desire is that we would have loving families and not everyone has that. But for those who do tonight, we praise it, you for them and the family members in our life that are just incredible and such a blessing. And and tonight, for those who, who don't have that, I pray the church truly becomes the family to them. And they, they could be loved here in a way that's beyond friendship. It's just so incredible. And may we be a family that shares love together. Lord, for those who are dating, I pray they would share their love in a pure way, with self-control. And yet, Lord, to be able to just explore the feelings that you have in ways that are pure and right. And for those who are married, God, I pray that there would be an amazing passion in their relationship, no matter how old or how young, because we're made to love.
Tonight, I pray that every single person in here knows love from you and love back to you. And I pray for anyone here tonight who needs to commit their life to you and embrace you for the first time. And I ask, oh Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would enter this room. And I pray your love would touch them and flow upon them. I pray they would know tonight how much they matter to you. And God, how much you desire to take the blood of Christ and cleanse them completely. And they would stand before you gorgeous and beautiful and incredible, seeing through your eyes. And I pray for those, Lord, tonight who need to embrace your will for their life. A life that's incredible and awesome. Not always easy, but lived with you. And I, I pray they would embrace that. And tonight they would know this is their time to do it. And I pray for anybody who needs to recommit themselves to you. So I ask that your spirit move and touch anybody tonight who tonight is special between you and them. I want to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with the Lord, would you just pray this prayer together right now, every one of you. Just whisper this to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new to make me yours and I want this and I want you so I open my heart to you please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you have created me to be and help me live the life you have for me to live so take me now in Jesus name amen Wow, praise God for all of you who prayed that prayer. Praise the Lord.